Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Sally A. from South Jersey and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, February 23rd, 2016. Today we are reading from the AA Big Book and we will begin reading on page 35, first paragraph, what sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic? Through three paragraphs ending, he would lose his family for whom he had a deep affection. First paragraph is for context only. Today's readers are for the 12 steps, Lori B, 12 traditions, Nancy T, and our readers of the text will be Martha Z, Lisa H, and Chelsea H. The reference number for Monday, February 22nd, 2016 is 8481. Our OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lori B. to read the 12 steps. Hi, good morning. This is Lori B. from New York. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, trying to remove our shortcomings. In a list of all things we had harmed, we came to make amends to them all. Nine, such people wherever possible to do so with them or others. Eleven, sought through prayer and to improve our conscious contact with God and with Him. Pray, knowledge for us and the power. 12, spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. We try to message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Okay, thank you, Lori B. I will now ask Nancy T. to read 
the 12 traditions. Good morning, Sally. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Nancy T., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Vermont. The 12 traditions are common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should remain, excuse me, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Nancy T. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and the literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There's no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we will resume our study of the AA Big Book on page 35 with the first paragraph 
what sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic. Through three paragraphs ending at the bottom of the page, he would lose his family for whom he had a deep affection. Please read the first paragraph for context only, focusing all comments on the second and third paragraph. I will now ask Martha Z to begin reading. Martha, good morning. Good morning, Sal. Can you hear me? I sure can. Thank you for your generous service. This is Martha Z. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God from near Philadelphia. What sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink? Friends who have reasoned with him after a spree, which has brought him to the point of divorce or bankruptcy, are mystified when he walks directly into a saloon. Why does he? Of what is he thinking? Our first example is a friend we shall call Jim. This man has a charming wife and family. He inherited a lucrative automobile agency. He had a commendable World War record. He's a good salesman. Everybody likes him. He's an intelligent man, normal so far as we can see, except for a, normal, a nervous disposition. He did no drinking until he was 35. In a few years, he became so violent when intoxicated that he had to be committed. On leaving the asylum, he came into contact with us. We told him what we knew of alcoholism and the answer we had found. He made a beginning. His family was reassembled, and he began to work as a salesman for the business he had lost through drinking. All went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. To his consternation, he found himself drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession. On each of these occasions, we worked with him, reviewing carefully what had happened. He agreed he was a real alcoholic and in a serious condition. He knew he faced another trip to the asylum if he kept on. Moreover, he would lose his family, for whom he had a deep affection. Good morning, friends in recovery. So, um, the, right, right in the beginning, it says the paragraph right before it says, "Of what is he thinking?" And it just told us earlier that that um, they were talking about the mental states because that was the crux of the problem, the main point of the problem. So um, it talks about how, you know, he, he inherits this very successful automobile agency. And then in the middle of that paragraph, it says, there's, there's kind of a warning. It says, except for a nervous disposition. So that's kind of like a foreshadowing of how he's going to need this alcohol to help him manage things. And then at the end of the paragraph, it says, um, he came into contact with us. I have that circled, and I have first 100, the first 100 people. And then the next paragraph, it says, we told him what we knew of alcoholism, step one, and the answer we had found, step one. He made a beginning, step three. So this is what one of our um, members always calls the, the OA wall, steps one, two, three. So he didn't go on and to do the rest of the work. He didn't do his 4 through 9 or, or continue to live in 10, 11, and 12. So then the biggest warning in the middle of that paragraph, he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. And then it says, to his consternation, he found himself drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession. And then it says, it, it talks about how they worked with him, reviewing carefully what had happened. And I have I have in my margin... These are my instructions as a sponsor. 
and how how we need to handle sponsees when that kind of thing happens. But I want to I want to go back to failed to enlarge his spiritual life, and so um, we talk about. I mean, everybody says, okay, well, you need to live in steps ten, eleven, and twelve, and and it's kind of like, okay, well, how? I think when we first you know, go through the steps and we're at that point, like, well, how do we do that? And um, we've had beautiful presentations on this recently. And for step 10, I mean, our instructions are on page 84, you know, where it says continue to watch for um, selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And it gives us our instructions on, on what we should do for that. So that's kind of our our walking around step or step during the day. And then step 11 is is that spiritual contact that, you know, with God in the morning, you know, when we get up um, during the day and, and at nighttime. And then step 12 is is passing it on. And, and I was in a meeting last night, and we had six newcomers. It was, it was almost overwhelming. And I was talking to some of the girls afterwards, and, and the one woman said to me, well, you're still here after all this time, and I, and I said to her, "Well, I'm, I don't really need to be here, so I, I'm. It's not like I want to stop eating, but, you know, the way our recovery works is that we we pass it on. You know, somebody was here for me when I came, you know, to to you know joyfully pass it on, and 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 that that's, you know, that's what I want to do, and that helps me to keep my recovery." And they they all seem so amazed at that. It to me it just seems so normal that, and I'm so grateful to be able to pass it on and and to be able to have recovery to pass on. So anyway, um, that's all I have. Thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you. And who would like to share on these second and third paragraph on this page? This is Bella. Can I share? Sure, Bella. Sorry. Suji, Reba P. Suji, Reba P. I know I missed someone. Kay. Who? who? Kathy K. Kathy, I'm sorry, Kathy K. Okay, I've got Bella, Hoodie, Suji, Reba P, Kathy K. Is there anyone else I missed? Okay, let's go with those. Bella, you're up. Hoodie, you'll be next. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella G, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Sally, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. But he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. Yes, before the program, I was connected to my power, that I call him my ego. I was connected to my ego, and... My ego brought me to be a people pleaser, to judge and to blame, and to do not what I really wanted, not what I really believed, but I wanted to be the best. And if I am not the best, I am jealous at you because you think that you are the best. And really before the program, I needed a power, and I wanted to show that I have the power but it didn't work out. Thank you, God, that now that I'm in the program, I found a power. I found a power higher than myself that I called him God. And today, by being connected to my higher power, by being aware that I am, you know, I am connected to a loving power, I am 
I can be connected to myself, to my inner self, not to my ego, to my inner self. And today I know that by being connected to God, I can give and get. I cannot give if I, not, if I don't get, or I cannot get if I don't give. And yes, today I have what to give, but it's not mine. Today, whatever I can give, it's the service that I, that I, that I, that I do what I, I pass a message, not my own message. I pass a message that God wants me to pass. Today, I am connected to, to my inner self and not to my ego. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. And Hoodie, you're up, and Suchi, you'll be next. Hi, Hi Sally. Good morning. Hoodie R in Israel. I recover compulsive overeater. And um, here in our first example um, of Jim, yes, he's a, you know, he's a owner of a lucrative automobile agency. He has a wonderful world war record. He's good salesman. You know, he's perfectly sensible and reasonable in every other. Um, in every in, in in every other area, but when it comes to alcohol, um, you know he ha- he has a problem, and um, we told him. So this is Bill and Bob probably Bill and Bob telling him what we knew about alcohol, what they knew about alcoholism. Doctor Silkworth's description that he we are powerless over our the body and the mind, and then about the solution. Um, and he made a beginning, and I hear, I see here, like you know, yes, I ma- I could make a beginning. I could do the inventory. I could do steps one, to, one to nine. I could, um, you know, and he, he obviously, you know, he he did the he did the work. He the promises came. His family was reassembled. He began to work as a salesman again. He went back to business, but then all was lost, and um, you know, all went well for a time. But then he failed to enlarge his spiritual life, and I'm reminded. Here, in, um, you know, on page 14 in Bill's story, it says, um, my friend emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating principles in all my affairs, particularly for the imperative to work with others. Hoodie, I'm so sorry. I'm having a hard time hearing you. You're breaking up. Particularly was it imperative to work with others as he had worked with me. Faith without works was dead. He said, and how appallingly true for the alcoholic, for if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. If he didn't work, he would surely drink again. And, and I see here, this is what happened. He did not continue living in 10, 11, and 12. He did not carry this message and go to any lengths to get out of himself more about other self-centeredness and um, get out of itself. It's a reminder for me today is that I have to constantly be practicing these principles in all my affairs, working with others, staying connected with newcomers to, strength, to remember who and what I am. I am a compulsive overeater, um, and I do have this problem of powerlessness over my body and my mind, and I need to live in these steps. Um, to get a daily reprieve. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Hoodie. Suji, it's your turn, and Reba P., you'll be up next. Hi, this is Suji from Michigan. Um, boy, this is describing me. Uh, you know, if I were a man, um, 
I probably would fit into all this. But being a woman, <laughs> staying home and bringing up my kids, I, I was the one of the nervous disposition. Everybody liked me. Um, I didn't have to worry about going out and eating worms. And, I, you know, I just, uh, I was a friendly person. Um, I succeeded at my work. <clears throat> didn't go didn't go on to school, but I succeeded at my work, and I, I did a good job at my work. Um, but I was nervous, and after I got married uh, in the late '60s, things started going downhill, and I started turning to food, and I my nervous disposition really started to come out. Having two little ones right away, the first two years I was married, and um, feeling unloved and unhelped and just kind of on my own with the kids, I turned to food. And I remember my doctor telling me, Sue, you can't keep this up. You're gaining 10 pounds a year. Um, well, I can remember <laughs> gaining 40 pounds in, in two months with my with my bipolar and the medication I was on. Um, but I, so I threw myself into the church more and more church work. And, um, you know, I thought I was, like, looking back now, I'd say that I was expanding my my um, my spiritual part. But I could be studying and, and um, be really having a good time with God and have the kids walk in from school and, why did you slam that door? And... It's like, you know, please don't don't slam that door. And I was off to the races as far as emotionally. I was, you know, I, there was that nervous disposition the minute that something went wrong. And, um, you know, um, so, and, and I did. When I came into program in 91, um, I had two years of absence. I had two years of being a dry drunk. I lost all the weight. But um, I didn't, there was no spirituality, and I didn't expand it. Um, I thought I did because I kept on going, getting involved more and more in church, but it, it just, it wasn't working for me. And I knew I had a serious problem when I joined, but my serious problem was was not only that I couldn't stop eating, but that others couldn't start doing what I wanted them to do. They, uh, you know, I would point to them My, if my husband were to only, if my husband were only, if my kids would only. Time. Um, time. So with that, thank you very much for listening and letting me share. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, Sue G. Reva P., it's your turn, and Kathy Kay, you'll be up next. Good morning. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto, uh, these two paragraphs um, have me think about two things. First of all, this disease and me being a real compulsive overeater has nothing to do with how many degrees I have, how smart I am, how much money I have. Um, I could have a good job, a good family. Everything on the outside could be really good. And you know what? I could still be a raving lunatic, real compulsive overeater because this disease has nothing to do with what's going on in the outside world. My life was actually pretty good um, when this disease got, you know, more and more serious in my life. 
So that's one point. And the second point is about enlarging my spiritual life. I really thought I was going to do the six-month certificate in OA, and I'd graduate, and I was smarter than all you guys, and I don't know why you guys had to stay here so long, but I was going to be out um, and get on with my life. Um, And I have, thank God, learned that living life on life's terms as life changes um, constantly is my problem and food was my solution. So, of course, I need a design for living and if life is going on, then I need to continue uh, working the program. Um, And that phrase, enlarging my spiritual life, reminds me too of the sentence in um, How It Works, that half measures availed me nothing. I can't do a little bit of the steps or I'll go to the meeting, but like I have to be all in. Either I'm all in or it's not going to work. There's no halfway with this. It's like I can't be a little bit abstinent. Either I'm abstinent or I'm not. Either I'm working the steps or I'm not. Um, Because I only have a 24-hour reprieve. It doesn't matter how many years, months, days, you know, people count their days. It doesn't really matter because every day... I have to do what I did yesterday or I will be back in the food. Um, And with that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. And Kathy Kay, it's your turn. Sally, I'm sorry. I have to get off the phone. I won't be able to share today. Sorry. All right. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you. Who else would like to share on this paragraph before we move on? Larry. Okay. Larry. Amy. 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 Got you. Melissa C. Melissa C. Okay. Let's go with those three and we'll move on to the next paragraph. Larry, take it away. Thanks, Sally. Thanks so much. Sorry about that. I was unmuting. Larry K., recovered compulsive overeater uh, from Chicago. So like Jim, you know, I I, I made a beginning (laughs) upon learning of this program. And, and, and some of the things I did, I changed my patterns of eating. That was good. And I, I, I tapped into the fellowship. It was a beautiful fellowship, made some friends. That was, that was certainly a good thing. And, and my relationship started to improve a bit. Um, I even started to lose some weight. I mean, you go from three fast food meals a day with, uh, you know, candy and nonsense in between, uh, and you change that a little bit, you're going to lose some weight, no doubt. Um, the problem was I found myself drunk on my food many times in rapid succession. You see, I didn't grasp that there was a distinct and, and, and critical difference between fellowship and the program of action. You know, fellowship is beautiful. It's beautiful. But it, it won't get me well. You know, in fact, it's important that we, we, we get involved in fellowship, that we get on the line every morning. I, I would tell people, get on this line and learn, learn what's going to get you well. Uh, but that alone won't get you well. And so, you know, fellowship is, you know, you come to the rooms, you get on the line, you meet some people, you make some calls, you do all the, 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 the stuff to support you while you get well, to support you while you get well. But only the program of action will get you well. I say that with absolute confidence, not confidence of, of, you know, a know-it-all confidence, just confidence from my own experience and the experience of a few others, many others, that it's the program of action found in this big book 
if followed precisely, that will get you well. Um, I'd love to tell you that getting on the line every morning is going to get you well, that you, you know, you're going to be sprinkled with pixie dust, you know, <laughs> that you're going to, you're going to, if you, if you hang around, you know, hang around, I don't know, pick, pick someone, hang around them, listen to their words, jot some notes down and your you know, make some notes, uh, you know, that'll get you well. It won't, it won't get you well. Only if you got on this line and you embraced and tried to understand this program of action and then you, worked the program of action through the steps, that's going to get you well. It's going to remove that obsession of the mind. Then, then, then remaining in fit spiritual condition, expanding, uh, you know, into a fit, spiritually fit, you know, person, that's not going to be difficult at all once you've aligned yourself with, with the will of your higher power through these steps. So uh, thank God for, for this program for Alcoholics Anonymous. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Larry. And Amy G., it's your turn. And Melissa, you'll be up next. Did you say to go ahead, Sally? I sure did, Amy. Go ahead. Okay, great. I was unmuting. Thank you so much for your service. Thank you, everyone on the line. Um, I'm going to piggyback with Larry about this idea of action. It says here he agreed he was a real alcoholic and in serious condition, and he knew he faced another trip to the asylum if he kept on. I, too, agreed that I was a real compulsive overeater. I knew what it was doing to me, particularly as a bulimic, and yet I continued to, in rapid succession, for almost five years of torture and compulsive overeating relapse and slipping and relapse for almost five years in Overeaters Anonymous. I agreed. I agree I was a compulsive overeater. I, I knew what it was doing, and I knew I was killing myself, and yet I was powerless to stop. There was still an issue for me of hoping and thinking that if I just knew enough, that if I just understood enough, that I could then fix myself, that I could then, if I was all of a sudden knowledgeable, I was then going to be powerful. My family's motto was, all it takes is a little willpower. You see, I had all my thinking backwards. You see, I thought food was the problem, but it turns out food was the answer, and the problem was me and my thinking, my warped thinking, my mental obsession, and that my mind, my sick mind, could not heal my sick mind, and that no matter what I knew, no matter what I understood about compulsive overeating, no matter what I admitted about myself and beliefs of who and what I was, until I understood that I of myself could not heal myself of this disease because of the mental twist, that I stood without defense against the first compulsive bite. I would come up with some crazy idea that I would then rationalize or have no idea at all or no thought whatsoever and then find myself pounding on the refrigerator five bites into a binge going, how the hell did I get here? Even with all I knew and even with all that I'd confessed. Step one is, as others had said, just the beginning. It is to surrender to who and what I believe now and know and have understood but then the rest is all about making decisions and taking action, being willing to let go of my old ideas. It says that and how, how it works. If you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, here are the steps we took. And some of these steps we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way. But the result was nil until we let go absolutely. We had to let go of old ideas. And for me, that was my thinking. I had to follow the instructions in this manual and be willing to do what it takes to take the action 
without the action, I can't recover. Faith without works is dead. I needed a power greater than myself to have a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. Because, again, the problem wasn't the food. The problem was me. And until I figured out a way to change, and if I couldn't do it on my own, what was I going to do? And as others have said, I had to be all in. I had to be all in to what you all were going to tell me to do because what I was doing was killing me. But this program has the power to change. The action steps, if we just follow the instructions, it says on page 17, it's a common solution upon which we can absolutely agree. And those first 100 experienced it, saw it, felt it, did it, acted on it, and recovered. And it is the same for us today. I believe that to be the case. Miracles abound through the action of these 12 steps. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Amy G. And Melissa, you'll be up next, and then we'll move on to the next paragraph. Melissa? Hi. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C. Recovered, compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, I'm thinking about the the failure to enlarge my spiritual life and how um, how many times, you know, I made a beginning and um, and began to put things together. And for me, that was always um, began to lose weight. You know, it was always uh, made a beginning uh, meant uh, made a food plan, you know, and began to lose some weight. And, um, you know, and so for me, I was able to have um, some bouts of abstinence. But um, I, you know, failed to enlarge a spiritual life. I really had no spiritual life. And, um, you know, I kind of was, um, I was misinformed or I was misunderstood. I misunderstood. I thought um, I'm going to take this program and I'm going to fit it into my existing framework of my life, you know, because um, I hadn't let go, absolutely. And I thought that I could still um, use a little bit of control, you know, give me the food plan, give me a little bit of the steps. I can sort of work them into the life that I have. And for me, you know, enlarging my spiritual life meant completely recreating my life. You know, this program couldn't just fit into my life. It really had to, you know, become my life. And because without it, I was dying. I had no life. Um, It was falling apart behind me, you know, all around me. And, you know, knowing that he was going to lose his family, um, you know, face another trip to the um, asylum, that's not enough. You know, just the same that for me, high blood pressure, uh, you know, an unhappy home, uh, it wasn't enough. You know, I had to completely give myself over to the program and and enlarge a spiritual life and actually get a spiritual life for me. Thank you. We got all passed. Thank you, Melissa. And Lisa H., can you read for us the top of page 36, one paragraph only, please? Thank you, Sally. This is Lisa H., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater just for today, calling from Memphis. Yet he got drunk again. We asked him to tell us exactly how it happened. This is his story. I came to work on Tuesday morning. I remember I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. I had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious. Then I decided to drive into the country and see one of my prospects for a car. On the way, I felt hungry, so I stopped at a roadside place where they have a bar. 
I had no intention of drinking. I just thought I would get a sandwich. I also had the notion that I might find a customer for a car at, that, at this place, which was familiar, for I had been going to it for years. I had eaten there many times during the months I was sober. I sat down at a table and ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk. Still no thought of drinking. I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. Um, again, good morning. This is Lisa H. Um, grateful, recovered. I I love this story um, largely because it, it says a lot about what all of us have experienced. Um, we all have very similar stories in that um, we were trying to marshal our own will, um, thinking that we should, that we could be able to um, handle this problem ourselves. Um, but the, the mental obsession is so great um, that until we were able to surrender all of it um, to a power greater than ourselves, um, I would keep going back. I would go back again and again. I would make the decision day after day, today's going to be different. And it would be different for a few hours. And then I would be right back um, in the food trying to control it by myself. Um, so this idea of um, enlarging my spiritual life um, makes, makes good sense. But I had to make the decision to immerse myself in the steps. Um, I had to take the action. Um, and in the beginning, it's uncomfortable. Um, if, if I'm true, if I'm, if I'm being honest. Um, but as I continued with each step, the sense of freedom from this mental obsession um, was amazing. Um, it's also interesting to talk about, um, to talk to people that have relapsed again and again. And invariably what it comes down to, and usually if they're honest, they'll say, it's because I didn't continue to enlarge my spiritual life. Um, and, you know, it says, um, for me, you know, it says somewhere in the book that the, conscious, that the consciousness of the presence of God is indeed the most important thing in my life. Um, but it has to be every day. I can't just say, oh, tomorrow I'll think about that because today is all I've got. Um, so um, with that, I'll pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Lisa H. Oh, Who else would like to share? Kim G. Alexis H. Kim. Yeah. Kelsey H. Mara. Carrie G. Kelsey. Okay. I'm sorry, guys. I didn't hear all those names, but I heard Charles. I heard Kim. I heard Monica. I heard Chelsea. And was there someone else? Mara. Alexis H. Okay. Alexis H. Let's go with those and. If we have time, we'll, I, I, I did hear a few other names. I don't know that we'll have time. Let's go with those. Charles. Good morning. Thank you, Sally, for your service. Charles H. will cover the visionary just for today. And, Jim, that's my guy, man. Um, you know, I want to touch on he made a beginning. He put the food down. Um, he, he got a job. Um, and, and my sister from Maryland, Rebecca, she did a great job explaining that on the addition that uh, – you know, um, I forgot, I just I forgot, but she said something like towards it, 
Like, it was fleeting. Like, just make it, you know, it was fleeting just putting the food down. It's not enough. However, I don't want to, I don't want to go at it hard, like, on a newcomer. Like, you know, because I could identify with a newcomer saying, man, look what I, I done put this food down because nobody else going to help you put the food down. You know, people talk about, I'm going to pray to God and I'm going to pray to Buddha. I'm going to pray to whoever you pray to. You still got to make, I still got to make that decision to put it down. Um, and it's so funny that, you know, coming up on this line saying, you know, I did this and I did that and, and look what, it, you know, you know what I could tell you, like, even in abstinence, it wasn't real abstinence. For me, I could say that because I don't have to come up in here and fake the funk saying, yeah, I'm this and I'm that. You know what? Like, <laughs> like I needed to put some things down, right? And I put it down and recovery is possible. Like, he made a beginning. Yeah, he got a job, he got this and that, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. You know, I'm from the hood. So me being in the hood, praying and meditating and telling other dudes to do that, it don't seem manlike. It don't seem cool. It don't seem, but you know what, though? It's life-saving. It's necessary. I have to do that or I'm going to act out. I'm going to act out and I'm going to be somewhere that I don't want to be because of things outside of me that's inside of my mind that's making me to pick up. Yeah, it's things in me, in my mind, making me do some things out of character because that ain't my character. That ain't my character. But I'm grateful, right, for this program of action every single day. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Charles. Kim, your turn. And Monica, you'll be up next. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And so exciting. You know, we were taught on page 35 that the mental state that precedes a relapse into drinking, for obviously this is the crux of the problem. So that's what this, this paragraph is telling me. What is, what is Jim thinking prior to picking up? We so much concentrate on the first bite versus what is the thinking behind it. I'm just going to pull out some stuff. He felt irritated. Now, this is a guy who not only lost his business, but a family business. Personally, I feel enraged. And what do I do when I'm upset and someone asks me how I am? I'm fine. I'm fine. Downplaying those feelings. Downplaying the restlessness, the irritability, the discontentment. He had a few words with the boss. I'm thinking maybe those few words were, F you, I used to own this business. You know, how many times did I downplay the fact of how I treated other people? And then the next part, you know, they're talking about going to a to bar to try to sell a car, you know, sitting at a bar and having a second sandwich. And, you know, I, I'm a Jersey girl through and through, and I don't know about other parts of the country or world, but I've never been in a restaurant, a bar, a diner where a used car salesman has tried to sell me a car. What are they going to sell me? They don't have any inventory to sell me. It's that diluted thinking that's using that rationale. How many times am I in an OA meeting and someone's crying, they can't get out of the food, as they're sitting there with a Dunkin' Donuts mug. What are you doing in the Dunkin' Donuts if you're trying to get abstinent? You know, and having that second sandwich, and I hear people say, oh, no, look, he's a compulsive overeater. He's having that second sandwich. That's not what I see. I see a man having a second sandwich he doesn't want as an excuse to stay in the, in the, in the bar. The same way that I would sit in a Panera Bread, and I like tea, but I would have four and five cups of tea until finally I ordered the bagel. I don't like tea that much. I'm trying to rationalize why I am there until finally I make the decision to eat. So that next paragraph talks about suddenly. How suddenly is it? Look at all this thinking. Look at all this restlessness, irritability, discontentment that he is not dealing with. So what I did for many years in OA is I tried to just deal with the suddenly. I tried to white knuckle it through. 
I spent years protecting myself against this suddenly. When you want to eat, Kim, make a phone call. When you want to eat, Kim, go to a meeting. When you want to eat, Kim, you're one bite away. Say that serenity pair 20 times a day. Let me tell you, I had six years of that. That is painful. That is painful to be white-knuckling it every day six years, feeling your only victory is going to bed exhausted having to beat food for one more day. But what if I can treat the part in this paragraph? What if I can treat my thinking by working the steps and getting connection with a higher power? So let me tell you, for the last five years, I have had freedom from those thoughts, and I don't want my binge foods. I don't think about my binge foods. I am not tortured by my binge foods. Today, I address the thinking, and I never have to get to the suddenly. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Kim. Monica, it's your turn. And Chelsea, you'll be up next. Thank you, Sally. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. So here we are in a chapter, more about alcoholism, and this whole chapter is is talking about this mental aspect of our disease, this crazy, insane thinking. And Kim did the most excellent job there. So I'm going to go on to something. I want to go back to the paragraph before. To his consternation, he found himself drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession. On each of these occasions, we worked with him, reviewing carefully what had happened. And then we turned the page and it was read, yet he got drunk again. So here is the seventh time he has gotten drunk. They've worked with him, he's gotten drunk. And what I get out of what I just read here is that as a sponsor, I take that this is, I've been given some information here, some instructions of what to do if somebody keeps picking up as a sponsor. I don't just immediately throw them away or drop them. I work with them. And then the other thing I wanted to um, touch on in this paragraph was, like Kim brought out, I felt irritated. I had a few words with a boss, and I loved how she said that, what he probably said. You know, this guy did not know what he didn't know, and he couldn't see what he couldn't see. And that's like all of us, you know. We don't understand when we come in here The food isn't the problem. It's the resentments that are the issues. It's the fear that's the issues. And here we go, I've got a bunch of resentments going on here. And if we don't deal with these things, with working our cleaning house steps four through nine, then what's going to happen? then our little brain's going to say, you know, I got the best idea to make you feel better. I know what's going to make you feel better, Monica. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thanks, Monica. And Chelsea, it's your turn. And Alexis H. will be up next. Thank you, Sally. Can you hear me? I sure can. Okay, great. I'm Chelsea H. I'm a recovered compulsive eater just for today. And I want to speak to the fact to where he says um, he had been going there for years. I had eaten there many times during the months I was sober. So he had tried the experiment of going around places where he probably had no business being, and he had no skill set to put into place for when the thought would turn into an obsession because it says still no thought of drinking. So the obsession hadn't kicked in, although he had already activated the allergy unbeknownst to him. But he knew, it says, was it unbeknownst? Because it says he knew. They told him what they knew about alcoholism. 
They gave him the answer. He made the beginning. So he went through the work because it was only the six tenants from the Oxford group then. So he went through that, um, the different steps of that. But then he did not work with others as those who came to him after he got out of that asylum did. He didn't replicate that. He was busy getting his family back in order, which is what we do. We when we get the um when we start to make our amends and stuff and get some of the promises of the ninth steps. But then what went down with this particular individual, as Hoodie had pointed out on page fourteen there in Bill's story, where it said he failed to enlarge his life, and if for if he failed to enlarge it, that he would drink again, and to drink for us is to surely die. And I'm paraphrasing all that. But the point is, is that. His family had gotten reassembled, which was the attractive feature we read about in the forward, in the forward to the second edition. It talks about how families being reunited was one of the attractive features to the program back then. So he had this whole issue with being resentful and, as Kim said, probably laid some language on the boss. You know, I, I own this place, came in on Tuesday, and you guys, you know how Joe and Charlie always say, what happened to Monday? So there's a whole, several issues going on here in the experiment of, of having the sandwiches and stuff and not triggering the obsession at that time, waking it up seemed just like the right thing to do at that time, and it worked so well that he decided to have a second one and then um, as was brought up the word suddenly, out of nowhere, that sleeping giant, the obsession, that thing that dominates us, that it talks about, it dominates us, it takes over everything else, it crowds out every other thought, and no other thought can get in. I can't think to call a sponsor. I can't think to uh, journal. I can't think to reach out and try to help somebody else because I'm t the only thought is to engage in my compulsive eating. But the steps help me work through that, and the steps relieve me of the um, obsession as long as I implement them when these things crop up. Thanks for letting me share. With that, I pass. Thanks, Chelsea. And Alexis H., it's your turn. Thank you, Sally. Can you hear me? I sure can. So, um, well, I'm glad to be on the call this morning. And, oh, I'm Alexis H., um, a recovering compulsive overeater from upstate New York. And um, the first thing that this section of the book made me think about was how he says the thing about, like, he exchanged words with his boss, and it bothered him a little bit. And that, to me, is kind of like a warning sign that he had this experience that, like, I don't, I would almost say when I have experiences like that, it's like something just pokes my ego. And in those moments now, I know, when something pokes my ego, I have tools that I use. I have to talk to somebody about it or put it down on paper or, you know, turn it over to my higher power. There's something I have to do to let it go. But, um, I mean, it sounds like he just has this experience, you know, where something pokes his ego and then he doesn't really do anything about it. And then um, I am going to jump ahead a little bit just because the next part is this whole, you know, suddenly the thought crosses mind. And that's the nature of my disease. So I, I love this chapter more about alcoholism because... Whenever I doubt that I have this disease, when I'm like, oh, well, I didn't, I wasn't, didn't weigh that much, or I didn't suffer those consequences, I can always go back to what's going on in my head. And what goes on in my head, I definitely have that. So this problem of, you know, life seems fine, things are going along okay, and then suddenly the thought crosses my mind. I have that. I have those random 
just kind of, I don't know, out of nowhere, like disease thoughts or addiction thoughts where, oh, this time it'll be different or maybe I can just have like one cookie and it'll be fine. And uh, I know that that's not true, but that to me is evidence that I have this disease because no matter how awful the consequences were or where one cookie would take me, I still sometimes have a thought that one might be okay. So that's all I have. Thanks, and I'll pass. Thanks for sharing. And I've got time for one more person to share on the top of page 36 or prior. Anyone with a burning desire? Sarah W. Thank you, Sarah. Go ahead. Uh, good morning, Sally. Thank you for your service. Uh, good morning, Vision View. Sarah W., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. I like the word irritated, but I'd rather put in its place the word anxiety because for me, many times in my life, throughout my life, I have had a lot of anxiety. And I love the story, too. Uh, I thought it was really, um, you know, people really put it in perspective this morning. But I have to say, for me, if my behaviors are not in alignment with what my belief systems are, that's when I'm going to get into a lot of trouble. And I also believe that people, as they work through the first, through the third step, need to start talking about their issues. Because this is where it all happens. We can't say, when I get to step four, I'll start working on my my thoughts and my feelings. I think it's really a great idea to start to, for me, uh, because I was in a very bad relapse for a long time. And if people told me to wait until the fourth step, (laughs) uh, there's no way I would have come out of it. Um, So my home life has to match my behaviors. Um, You know, I I can pray all I want, and I do believe that God helps us. But we have to help ourselves, too. And I think a big part of that for me has to be when I notice that I'm irritated or agitated today or any day in recovery, I need to talk about it with somebody else. I need to address the issue. If thoughts start coming into my mind, I need to address it and not say, I'll talk about it later. And I think that is the foundation of where I'm going to have a full, healthy recovery. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. And I would like to thank all of our readers this morning, Lori B., Nancy T., and the readers of the text, Martha Z, Lisa H, and Chelsea H. A big thanks to all of you who have shared your experience, strength, and hope with all of us this morning. And a thank you for the opportunity to serve this very special meeting. And thank you to everyone who has shared. I would like to invite you to please join us for a second recorded hour of study immediately following our closing. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. I will ask Chelsea H. to please read A Vision for You, beginning with, Our Book is Meant to be Suggestive Only. Thank you, Sally. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. 
We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.